Well, good afternoon again, everybody. I hope you've been enjoying the, uh, the sunshine this afternoon. It was so nice to see it. Who knows when we'll see it again. It could be September, October, who knows. Uh, but welcome, and uh, let's dig into to God's Word here. And we're really, our passage today is from the, the section Nick read there, verses 7 to 12. Uh, but starting off here, there was a man uh, this week, actually a man called uh, Seo Sang Moon. He's age 69. And he has just passed the academic part of his driving license examination uh, on his 272nd attempt. That's 272. Uh, this was because he is actually illiterate. He cannot, uh, cannot read English. And so what he did, very cleverly, was he used the test as a process to teach himself the rules of the road because he could not read the manual. So he would take the test, and then what he failed on, he thought, okay, that was the wrong answer, so I need to answer this differently next time. And that's how he taught himself over 272 times the, uh, the rules of the road. Um, he, uh, he's a repairman, and since the oral exam, uh, this was an oral exam in this country, was launched, he would take it as often as he could. Paid about uh, about a thousand pounds in fees along the way, uh, and he was able to understand the rules of the road through his own failures. Uh, after 271 attempts, he was able to get the minimum score to pass the academic test. And he's currently preparing for the road test, for the real test. Uh, Despite the amount of time it took him to pass the test, officials were thrilled to see him pass. Uh, He's been coming here for more than five years, one said. And we regard him as almost being one of the family. Uh, An official from the exam office said when interviewed. Now that is what I call persistence. I don't know about you. Uh, I would have given up after about five, I think. Um, So, we are uh, continuing our studies in the Sermon on the Mount, Mount, in the book of Matthew. Uh, Some of you who've been here coming for a while will know we've been studying this for quite a while now, taking our time, as we do, and uh, we have got to the section in chapter 7 where Jesus starts to say, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. So we're going to think today about, and if you're taking notes today, we're going to think about uh, persistence in terms of three commands, in terms of, and that's in verses nine, excuse me, that's in verses seven and eight. Two examples, that's in verses nine to 11, and one overriding rule, and that is in verse 12. So first of all, we're going to think about the Three commands. If you've got your Bible in front of you, just do flick back there to verse 7, and let's have a look at that here. And uh, here Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be open. And I don't know about you, but I, I think this is a passage 
that many people know in our culture, whether they know the Bible well or not. Uh, Perhaps they've picked it up at school or perhaps in the movies. People have heard, ask, and it'll be given to you. And they hear that and they go, great, that sounds like a heavenly cash machine. You ask the big cash machine and God gives it to you. So they go, hmm, mm, okay God, I'd like a BMW 7 Series with 19 inch rims. Hmm, or perhaps, Lord, I'd like a new bass guitar, speaking more personally. Uh, or perhaps more seriously, people will say, God, please give me a job. Or please give me a girlfriend or a husband or healing or money or, or whatever. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't happen. And if it doesn't happen, they say, oh well, God cannot exist. What has gone wrong? What has happened? Is the Bible wrong? Did Jesus get it wrong somehow? No. No. No, what has happened is that that person has taken one small part of one passage in one huge book, that is the Bible, and let it stand on its own. No book works like that. No communication works like that. Every time we read the Bible, every time we read any section of it, we have to read what comes after it, what comes before it, to get the context. We have to understand what the context is. If you read the Bible without understanding the context, it is like playing with matches in a firework factory. It is not a good idea. Let me give you an example. So let me read you a section. This is from a random book I took off the shelf in our house. So, tripods, excuse me, tripods are ideal for carrying two or more climbers at once. So you read that. So let me read it again. Tripods are ideal for carrying two or more climbers at once. And you read that without the context and you think, oh, well, must be a pretty awesome outdoor adventure book. That's pretty good, you know. Uh, And you're imagining perhaps useful equipment for a rock climber to to carry up the rock face and uh, put on there and there's several rock climbers perched on a tripod thing somehow we don't know quite what it is very good tripod Uh, you would be wrong however you would be totally wrong this is a sentence from the book called the ultimate small garden by philip mccoy don't know who he is and the climbers he's talking about are plants so he's talking about plants climbing up a tripod okay Uh, why the confusion because we took it out of context, because we didn't read the rest of the book, we didn't read the rest of the passage. We just read one bit and thought, ah, that's what it means. So the context of this passage is not, how can you get everything you want? Or it's not how to gain wealth and success without really doing very much. Uh, What was was Albert? Win friends and influence people. It's not... It's not that. This is not what this part of the Bible is talking about. If we read chapters 5 and 6 and 7, 
This is not what it is about. In fact, you're not going to find this is how to get rich quick anywhere in the Bible. Uh, Sorry to tell you that. Um, Because God does not give us a get-rich-quick scheme. If that was true, then whatever we prayed for, we would get. That we know from practically that is not that is not what happens, and that actually happens in the Bible. Will you turn with me over to Second Corinthians if you've got your your Bible in front of you? So turn with me over to Second Corinthians chapter twelve, and I'll tell you the page number when I get there. Or somebody can shout it out if they get there first. This is going to be page one one six six. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And this is the Apostle Paul writing. Apostle Paul, major leader in the early church. This is what he says. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Get this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. Uh, I think it would be very hard for for any of us to say that Paul was not, not a man filled with faith in Jesus. You know, he knew how to pray. He had seen Jesus in, in, the, in a miracle on the road to Damascus. He had the Holy Spirit inside him. I think that is, is undoubtedly true. And yet God did not take away this thorn in the flesh, although he prayed for it three times. We don't know what, what the thorn in the flesh actually was. It doesn't, doesn't really matter in one way. But the point is that, that although Paul prayed for it, God did not remove it. Paul wanted it. God knew that Paul wanted it. But over time, Paul came to realize that that although that's what he wanted, it was not what he needed. Paul needed this thorn to keep him humble. A more up-to-date example is a theologian called Howard Hendricks. Uh, He was obviously, as a young man, a very bright uh, theologian and also quite attractive to the younger ladies, apparently. Uh, And so he told the story that that as he would travel around preaching God's word, uh, mothers of young ladies would come up to him and say, oh, you're a lovely boy, aren't you, kind of thing, you know, as can sometimes happen. Uh, and, And he tells the story of one particular lady who came over to him and said, I'm praying that you're going to be my son in law And he goes on to say that we have to be sometimes grateful that God does not answer prayers in that way. Um, And because sometimes he answers, he always answers our prayers, sometimes he answers our prayers yes, and sometimes yes, but not yet, and sometimes no. It depends on what he wants for our lives, it depends what his timing is. He knows what we need and when we need it, but we do not always know and sometimes ask for the things that line up with what God has for us. And that is when the answer is no. Uh, 
You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, uh, when he was praying in, or teaching us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, your will be done. Notice it says, your will be done, not my will be done. Uh, You don't have to turn there. In John chapter 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if you abide in me and and and, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. Sounds a bit like this passage, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, if your desires, so again, if you abide in me, if your desires and your hearts line up with mine, if you read what I said in the Bible, and if you're living in that knowledge and in that hope, then ask, and it will be done for you. Because you're going to line up. Our will will be God's will. God's will will be our will. Folks, this, this part of the book of Matthew, it, it's, we've been reading it, it's all about spiritual health. It's all about spiritual matters, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, the, the purity of the desires of our heart, how we give, how we pray, how we fast. That is the context. That is the context that this, this couple of verses is in. So if that's true... What's a reasonable way to think about what Jesus has said? Well, let's dig in. Let's dig in and find out. In verse 7, we see three actions that Jesus sets out. Actually, they're not actions. They're actually commands. And he sets out their result as well if the commands are followed. So Jesus commands, okay, he commands us to ask. And tells us that if we ask, we will be given, what we ask for will be given to us. He commands us to seek. And tells us that if we seek, that we will find what we are seeking. Jesus also commands us to knock on the door. And tells us that if we knock, that the door will be opened to us. So some of you may know that this part of the Bible was originally written in Greek. And there are two ways in which a command can be written. So let's look at that first one, ask. Command, ask. In English, we could say ask, or we could say ask. Do you see the difference? No. Uh, But when it's read in the Greek language, one is a command to say ask and do it once, and it's done. So, I don't know, shut the door. Something like that. The other is... Ask and keep on asking and don't stop asking and keep going. Hope you can see the difference there. Uh, So these three commands, ask and seek and knock, are the second sense. That one where you keep on doing it and don't stop. That's why we're talking about persistence from the guy with the driving test. Uh, Do them and keep on doing them. And that, I think, suggests this, this idea of context. Uh, Jesus is not talking about, I want to deposit for a house, you know, please give me a deposit for a house, a knee operation, a guide on a big decision. Let me be clear, there's nothing the matter with praying for those things. Jesus said, pray for all things, however big and small. Uh, you know, I confess, I pray, Lord, help me find my glasses because I can't find them. Uh, there's nothing the matter with praying for small things. Uh, 
But those aren't the prayers that we're going to pray continuously for the rest of our lives and pray and pray and pray and pray. They're just for a season. These commands are something we, we're going to do. They're actions we're going, to, we're going to keep doing continuously until we die. So what are we commanded to ask for? What are we commanded to seek? I think we're being commanded to seek, to hunger for, to quest, to pursue the things of God. The things that Jesus has been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, if you look back there into chapter 5, uh, uh, that we would be poor in spirit, that we would be meek, that we would be thirsting for righteousness, uh, full of mercy, that, that we would be concerned about the purity of our heart, that we would be peacemakers. Well, move, moving on into, into sort of the end of 5 and 6, uh, being salt and light, that we would pray about uh, when we are filled with anger and hatred or lust or lying, that we would pray about that and ask, ask God to help us with that, that we would pray that we would love each other. Pray about giving to the needy. Pray about not being anxious. Seeking not to judge without compassion. All these things that we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, I think is what Jesus is telling us to seek and ask and knock on the door for. We always need more. We always need more of these things and we can always get better at them. But the only way we're going to do that is through the help of God. And that is why we pray. God is the only one who can change us. God is the only one who can grow us. He will make us more like his son, if that is what we ask. He will give us the Holy Spirit to help us do that. We cannot change ourselves in these areas. I don't know what your own experience in your own life is. I've only found the greatest changes have come in my life when I've asked God to change me. I try and 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 I fail. I try and 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 I fail. And I ask God. And I have to keep trying, but I ask God. And he says, okay, let's sort this out. A man called R.K. Hughes says that we can either approach all of this Sermon on the Amount as a list of humanly attainable goals which is wrong, that's what the Pharisees were doing, or as beggars who receive the grace to do the impossible, as Jesus is encouraging his disciples to do. Let me read that again. The Sermon on the Mount is is not a list of humanly attainable goals, but if we approach it as beggars who receive, but if we should approach it as beggars who receive the grace to do the impossible. You cannot force yourself to become more pure in spirit by going to a spiritual gym or something. God has to take a hand. So we need to ask and to seek, to ask and to seek, to knock and to seek, and to ask and to seek and to knock. Persistence is needed. We need to press on, lean in. We, we want to desire more. We want to have more hunger for the word of God, for, for the... For the things of God. We want to desire to be more like Jesus. And if we pray for that, 
God will give us good things. He will give us himself. He will give us his son. He will give us the Holy Spirit. He will give us his his goodness and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Not because of what we have done, but because we believe in him and we want to follow him. I think even... I don't know about you, I think even the idea of knocking at a door is significant because someone else opens the door to come in. Someone else has to be involved. Friends, these are good things to ask for. There's nothing bad in the Sermon on the Mount. There's nothing bad to ask for. There's nothing that, that we can't do with more of. These things that Jesus talked about are all the things that I believe God wants us to have more and more and more and more of. And because he's a generous God, he wants us, he wants to give them to us. He wants us to give us these things. And he will do that as we grow and as we mature. If you're here and you're a Christian, then he wants to give you that until the day you die. And we know, we know the kind of importance Jesus is putting on this because, guess what? In verse uh, 8, he repeats it all. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Some of you may know that it, where, uh, Hebrew writers, when they repeat something again, this is like emphasis. This is, pay attention to this. This is important. Um, he wants our desires to be lined up with God and to seek God's will and, and what he wants for us, not our own. So those are the three, the three commands. Ask and, or let's, say, let's put it this way, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Uh, let's look at the two examples Jesus gives us. In verses 9 to 11. I don't know whether you've come across this. There is, a, there is an alternative comedian. I won't give you his name. But he does a sketch in which uh, prisoners are being tortured. And they're given a choice between uh, being killed or eating cake. So they are on the rack or whatever and uh, each prisoner is asked, cake or death? And uh, they're, they're lying there, and the, you know, so the first one is lying there, he goes, cake or death? He goes, oh, uh, cake, please. Oh, okay, good, cake. Bit of cake, passing the cake. Next prisoner, cake or death? Oh, yes, same for me, please. Cake, please, okay. Third one, yeah, cake or death? Death, no, just kidding, cake. There's a cake, okay. I'm going to run out of cake at this rate. I wasn't expecting everyone to go for cake, you know. Um, and he carries on that way. These are the kind of examples Jesus is given us. Um, who, look, at, look, look with me there in verse 9. Who would really give their son a stone if he asks for bread? Who would actually do that? Would you do that? I don't think anyone would do that. Can I have a sandwich, Dad? No, son. Here's a rock instead. Yeah. That'll, 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 who would do that? Uh, even though I have a geology degree, I would rather have a sandwich than a rock, to be honest with you. 
even if it, even if it was nice. Nice is spelt G-N-E-I-S-S and is a kind of rock. That is a, just a geological joke for any geologists who've walked in. Other than that, it's just me. Nice, I'll explain it later. Um, who does that? Who gives a kid a stone instead of a piece of bread? I mean, you might give them a breadstick or something. Uh, you might give them a light salad or something that tastes okay or whatever. But to give them something which has no nutritional value at all and in actual fact would hurt them is just madness. It's just craziness. Likewise, in verse 10, who would give their child a snake if he asks for a fish? Nobody. Nobody gives their son something bad if he asks for something good. Nobody gives their daughter something harmful when they ask for something good. Now, I know a couple of you do think that snakes are okay and they're quite nice pets. Okay? Sorry. No. No. They're weird. They're deadly. Stop messing around. It's not good for you. Uh, if you're not sure, look in the Bible. Look how often people are getting bitten by snakes. You know, it's obvious. Is, is it me? It's obvious. Anyway. Um, but these are good illustrations of the point. You would expect that because Jesus has, has, has was going to give good illustrations. Um, God is good and wants to give us good things. If we ask for good things, if we seek good things out, We would do that for our children, and God does it for his children. In verse 11, Jesus makes that point clear. Again, he says it a third time. He really wants us to get this. God wants to give us good things. Excuse me. This is not a sermon illustration. I just lost my voice. Um. And there are some characteristics of, of God that, that he has perfectly, that we can have him perfectly. Um, so, so we can ask him that we will be more merciful and we will be more compassionate and more loving and more full of grace. Those are good things to pray for and God is perfect at that. When we are imperfect... And then almost hidden away in there, just like a comment which Jesus has just thrown as an aside. I don't know if you noticed it. He says, though you are evil. You notice that? Though you are evil. What's he talking about? What does Jesus mean? I think what he means is that none of us are God. No human who has ever lived has been perfect. Jesus was human and God together, so he was perfect. But for everyone else, every single person, we have all done wrong. We all do things wrong. We have poor attitudes. We do not think the things of God. And to be honest with you, that's every day. That's many times a day, typically. We have all angered God. And in that sense, Jesus is... is right when he says we are all evil. He's not saying we're a demon or anything like that, but he's saying we all sin, we all break God's law. And that is bad news. That is bad news. Who wants to, who wants to be faced 
with an angry God. Who actually would want to be face to face with God who is angry with what we have done. If that does not scare you, you probably have not understood how big God is and how, how upset he is with the things we do wrong. Because he is really upset. And that, I think, is really scary. But there is good news to match that bad news. There is good news because God, our Heavenly Father, is perfect and he loves his children and he can see the situation we're in and so he wants to give us the very best thing he can. He wants to give us his most precious gift, his son, because he knows if he does that, Jesus will pay the price for our sins. God sends Jesus to teach us, yes, like he's doing here, that is quite true. He sends us to live a perfect life, that is also quite true. But far more than that, if you keep reading the book of Matthew, you will find that he died for us. All the anger of God, all the stuff that that, uh, God is upset with us about, he poured his anger out onto his son. Jesus, who was totally innocent, served the sentence for our crime. He took the punishment and he served the whole sentence, paid the whole price for the things we have done. How do we know? Because he rose from the dead three days later. And he lives now so we can trust and follow him. So yes, although we may may do things wrong and we rebel against our Heavenly Father, if we believe in his Son, and we say, I want to follow you, and we try our best to follow him, then we are saved from that anger. We become God's adopted children. And you've seen what Jesus says here about children, that God wants to give them good gifts like any heavenly father. We receive a free gift of forgiveness and grace. That's the first thing he gives us as he starts to give us these things he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have never done that, if you have never trusted Jesus to save you, if you've never turned to him from your own way of life, I plead with you and beg you, understand how terrible the anger of God is and understand that you need to do something about that today. Well, we've talked, about the, we've talked about the three commands that Jesus gave us to, to, to uh, ask, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And the two examples of uh, giving us bread and not stone, giving us a, a fish and not a snake. Let's go on and look at the one overriding rule. So Jesus finishes this section uh, with what some people have called the golden rule. which is not those with the gold make the rules. It is, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Uh, And Jesus goes on to say that this sums up the law and the prophets. That's an interesting phrase. What's that about? Uh, Is this just another... So this is now is not a heavenly 
cash machine? Is this an earthly cash machine? If I do something for you, you do something for me. If I lend you my lawnmower, will you lend me your bellowhead CD? If I do something for you, you know, yes, what's the phrase? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If I'm generous to you, you are generous to me. Is this just a way of getting stuff again? No. No, no, that is too simple a reading of this passage. This, again, is not getting it in context. Notice that Jesus says this sums up the law and the prophets. If you were a Jewish person listening to that, you would know that Jesus was talking about what we now call the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus is saying you can sum up all of the Old Testament in this way. Uh, And he said something like that later on in Matthew as well. Uh, In chapter 22, uh, some of you will be uh, familiar with this this passage. Uh, In chapter 22, verse 36. Uh, The religious leaders have got together and an expert in the law asks Jesus, really tests Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So so there's something in in common with these two two passages. Jesus is saying that loving God and loving our neighbours is the essence of the Old Testament. And here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is saying that treating others as we wanted to be treated is the summary of the Old Testament. And I guess that makes sense. If we're being commanded to love others, who doesn't want to be loved? If we desire love, and I think one way or another we all do, then what Jesus is saying is that if you're loving others, others are going to love you. But that verse does not sit in isolation. You know, we said we can't take that out of context. So when we're being commanded to ask and seek and to knock, to pursue spiritual things, we're straight away being told to treat others as we want to be treated. Sometimes we say, don't we, no no one is an island. No man is an island. No man is an island. So as we're seeking and asking and knocking, we do that in the company of others. We do that with people around us, within our family relationships, within our church relationships, our work relationships. In all of them, we're to treat others as we would want to be treated. And that that is how we are then going to, to apply this search. This is how we're going to ask and seek and knock, is not by shutting ourselves in a room, but by being with other people, by interacting with other people. How do we know if we're meek by our interaction with others? How do we know if we're pure in spirit by our interaction with others? We're going to understand these things in the Sermon of the Amount through this golden rule. How we treat others, how others are then going to treat us. Well, as we... As we, as we wrap this up. I I hope you've had the opportunity to write down a few applications as we've gone through this. Uh, If you haven't, 
Let me just suggest one to you. Pray about everything. Pray about everything, but especially, persistently, seek and ask for spiritual things. You could make a list of the things in the Sermon on the, on the Mount that, that Jesus is telling us to do and pray for those characteristics, that those things would become more and more true of us. Folks, if we want to treat God like a magic genie who grants us wishes, then we are going to be sadly disappointed because God is not like that. His reason for existence is not to fulfill all of our wants and dreams. If our relationships with others are based on what we can get out of them, then we have a pretty empty life, to be honest with you. However, however, when we persistently seek and ask and knock at the door, when we desire the things of the kingdom, the spiritual things that we're looking for, the things that are in accordance with God's will, then, then as we persistently pray, we will receive them. God will give them to us for our good and for his glory. We knock at the door and it is Jesus himself who opens it and shows us what he has stored up for us inside. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there is so much packed into the Sermon on the Mount. From chapters 5 through to to, to the end of chapter 7, there are so many things that your people increasingly have. When we think about the kingdom of God, the people in the kingdom of God are like this and grow in this way. So, Lord, I pray, Father, I I beg you that you would make these things increasingly true of the people here in Rotherham. Yes, for all of your people, for sure, for all Christians everywhere. I pray that they would want these things, desire these things in their heart. But, Lord, let me just be a bit more parochial. Let me be a bit more focused on us here. Father, I pray that these things will be true of us more and more. So that when people look at us, that they would see that. So they would see that golden rule being reflected, that, that we would be treating them in accordance with the, the truths here in, in the Bible. Lord, will you be gracious to us? Lord, will you be Will you give us the good things you have stored up for us? Lord, and if there is someone here who does not know you today as their Lord and Saviour, I pray that even right now they would ask and seek and knock and you would open that door. Father, we ask all these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.